We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Ganamos y eso siempre ayuda. Movimos muy bien el balón, sobre todo en la segunda parte, y defendimos muy bien también en la segunda parte. No, bueno, la primera vez fue especial, pero ahora, bueno, claro que tengo amigos allí y sigo en contacto con ellos, pero bueno, me ha pasado mucho tiempo. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Sam, it has been one month exactly since we were able to talk about a team with a non-losing record in a week podcast. So for a week's period... I had no idea where you were going with that. (laughs) For a week, a period of a week, which is how long we record episodes in, for an entire month we've been talking about a losing record for, for the period of a week. But this week... We get to talk about a 2-2 two and two record. Not perfect, but not a losing record. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing good. This, this was like a fun week from a neutral basketball standpoint. We saw some interesting games. Uh, you know, we got some free basketball and overtime against New Orleans. We got a close game till the end against a contender, kind of, in Houston. Uh, and then a win over Minnesota where they kind of pulled through in the second half. So, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't focus so much on the Orlando game, but I think people have, like, forgotten about that at this point anyway so i'd say it was a pretty good week for the suns yeah i think it was funny because suns fans created a sort of are we sure devin booker is a superstar narrative for for the period of a week uh and then he immediately answered uh in no way as an answer just just as a result of the way that the games went actually you know now that now that i mentioned that since we're going to talk about minnesota a little bit that was the last game uh, that we got to watch i finished watching the second half a little bit later and 
they weren't trapping Devin Booker the same way, but he was attacking it. Well, how did you feel about Devin Booker this week alone? Let's just talk about that. So let me just recap a little bit. Since the last time we talked on our last episode where we talked about his aggression and about how we felt about what he was doing and how he was attacking uh, teams' defenses and if he should be more aggressive. Since that point, he's averaged 30 points, 4.8 rebounds, and 6.5 assists on 53, 44, and 78 shooting splits. I don't want to say that one too loud um, because he had some bad free throw shooting games here. But he's looked pretty good. And what have you thought? What do you think has changed for Devin Booker in this week? I don't know if much has changed in his approach. Um, I think the rest of the team around him has put him in a better position to succeed, if that makes sense. Now, I think what's changed for Booker a little bit is he's just starting to... The few shots that he wasn't making to this point, even those he started to make. And what I mean by that is all season long, Devin Booker has been good and effective at hitting contested shots. Um, But I think this week, for the first time, we really started to see him get these kind of hot streaks that we know he's capable of. Um, and really go on some runs. Like the third quarter in the last game against uh, Minnesota, that was a run by Devin Booker. He had a couple of rhythm pull-up threes and transition in a row. That's something that Mm -hmm. we never really saw from Devin Booker last season because we didn't get to see that part of his game. There would be plenty of last season and at the beginning of this season as well, plenty of games where Booker would have kind of like a quiet 30 points where he would consistently... Uh, make a few shots here, a few shots there, lots of mid-range pull-ups. Um, but I think he's he's more effectively finding his spots from all around, including pull-up three-pointers, which are the har- uh, the hardest shot in the game because you have to create that own offense yourself. Um, so he really excelled there this week. And I pulled up the stats on that too. Like Catch-and-shoot threes, it makes sense for Booker to be hitting more of his catch-and-shoot threes this season because of the theory Um, that all of us went with, that Rubio having that playmaker next to him would help maximize spacing, bringing in shooters like Dario Saric and Aaron Baines would maximize spacing, and Booker would get more uh, gravity, essentially, on those catch-and-shoot attempts. But the pull-up threes, in theory, should be as hard as they were last season, and yet Booker shot 29% on pull-up threes last season. He's up to 43% this year. So I guess, you know, what stood out to me this week, in addition to already being a very good playmaker, in addition to being a very good finisher who can finish with both hands, the craftiness, the mid-range game, uh, he's just the complete package offensively right now. And I think that sort of transitions us into a conversation of not, is Devin Booker an all-star? Because I think for a little while we've definitively concluded that he is an all-star, but is he... Uh, an all-star starter is he a number two guard in the western conference right now because you can't put him over james harden but after that i think it's very much a conversation uh where he deserves some consideration it's been interesting for me to watch what's sort of changed it's just really the last four games that i'm talking about here and to try and identify what has made booker better in those games than say the previous games before that were you to say that he was better and i, I mean the numbers wise they are, the numbers are better, so you can point at that and say, well, he was better. Just just from a basic standpoint, in on the season, he's averaging 17.5 field goal attempts. In the last four games, he's averaging 19.5, so he's, he's shooting a little bit more, uh, if you want to just point that out. And the other thing is 6.8 uh, three-point attempts uh, compared to 5.7 on the season, so just a little bit more there. So on a very basic level, he shot a little bit more. Um, and that is sort of taking what the defense gives you. So I don't, I don't know how much to give credit to that. But one thing I will say is he did appear to be 
attacking in a different way. There were times where I saw uh, the double team come to him that he didn't sort of wait for it to come to him, to create for someone else. And instead of waiting for it to come to him, uh, he was driving. So if a double team is coming from the right, for example, he was driving left on the single defender on the left and trying to get up above him uh, on the rim and either get fouled or, or get a, some sort of contested layup, which he's very, very good at making. So I think there are like some elements of his game that changed a little bit in the last four games that I think Suns fans weren't able to maybe identify directly at the time when we all kind of felt a little bit frustrated uh, but now I think in these last few games, we were able to see that, particularly in the higher scoring uh, efforts that he had in the last few games. Th- th- this Minnesota game, it wasn't one of those, like the last Minnesota game, for example, it wasn't one of those games where the Suns needed Devin Booker to completely take over. The offense right. was kind of rolling. Sharich uh, kind of had his revenge game, uh, if you will. He was really good to start that game, particularly in the first half. So it wasn't one of those games where you just needed Devin Booker to take over, even though he wasn't trapped. It's similarly, we talked about whether Ryan Saunders would change his game plan. Uh, The answer was no, not really. (laughs) They they played the Suns exactly the same and they lost relatively easily uh, for the Suns. But um, yeah, let's talk about Devin Booker. So you wanted to talk about him as an all-star starter. I found it interesting just to touch on that. If you look at the Western Conference right now, you don't get to a team whose best player is a guard until you're outside of the top four teams, right? So the top four teams right. are the Lakers, Clippers, Mavericks, Mavericks, and Nuggets. None of those four teams' best players, even in most cases, two best players, except for the Nuggets, are a guard. And then you get the Rockets, Jazz, arguable for the Jazz, who their best player is. I'm not going to go into that now. Um, and then the Thunder, who's for sale, like every, everyone on the Thunder are currently for sale. And then you got the Suns. So when you first brought up the idea of Devin Booker as an all-star starter at, in his first all-star appearance, I thought, no way. There's just no way. But then I looked at the standings and it, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, what's your case for it that? Makes a, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, his biggest competition, obviously injuries have helped the Suns because if Curry and Thompson weren't both out, this would be a different story. Um, and also the fact that Luka Doncic, despite the way he plays, is still very much a forward. This is now a forward-heavy uh, uh, all-star team for the Western Conference. Definitely the best players overall, except I guess you could say James Harden, are still the forwards. That being said, that means Booker's uh, biggest competition is going to be Russell Westbrook, who, if I can just say, is still a very awkward fit with James Harden in Houston. Like, of any all-star that you could have potentially paired him with, just stood out to me as a very awkward fit. Doesn't mean he's having a bad season, but just to put him on that team and watch him hesitate as much as he does on some of these uh, wide-open spot-up three-point opportunities, uh, it just makes you scratch your head a little bit. So Russell Westbrook, who still overall had a good season, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and Damian Lillard. Now, I think Damian Lillard has a good case. He's got similar efficiency to Booker, um, but the advantage that Lillard always had over Booker in years past, obviously, was that the Blazers were a much better team, and that's just not the case anymore. And with Mitchell, I think it's pretty clear that Booker is overall a better player. He's scoring better. He's a much more efficient scorer. Booker's at 63% true shooting this season. That's insane. Mitchell is at 53% true shooting, which is technically below league average. Uh, Mitchell is an inferior playmaker. He's only averaging (laughs) 3.6 assists to Booker's 6.9. Mitchell is definitely a better defender. But, I mean, like, the, the advanced defensive stats don't even like him. 
uh, that much. His defensive box plus minus is negative for the third year straight. Granted, Booker's is worse, but Mitchell's is still kind of bad. Overall, the advanced stats just just like Booker right now. Booker has higher win shares. He's got a higher box plus minus. He's got a higher VORP, which is that stat that I always like throwing out. So, you know, I think when the voters look at this, uh, they're going to see really a very good case for Devin Booker to be an all-star starter. I, I just think he has been the second best guard in the Western Conference after Harden. I think Lillard right now is the closest call. Yeah, I think Lillard is the... the for those for those of you who are listening who aren't paying attention to the standings, the the Trailblazers are nine and fifteen right now. Uh, not a good start to the season, and uh, you know the roster is relatively the same. Uh, other than you know Nurkic is still injured, they just do not look good. They're barely hovering above the Memphis Grizzlies currently. So. Uh, you know, if anything, if, if anything, if they w- do not trend in the right direction, uh, there is a case to be made that they don't deserve an all-star at all. The thing is, is that one best player on their team happens to be Damian Lillard, who deserves it. He is an all-star level player. But, you know, for Suns fans to see uh, not only Damian Lillard to potentially be an all-star with a significantly losing record... But then to be a starter, that would be kind of a spitting in the face of Suns fans who watch Devin Booker sort of succeed on a losing team and not even get consideration for an all-star spot, not to mention an all-star starter spot. So I I, I don't know. We'll see if the Trailblazers turn it around. People who follow me on Twitter particularly know that I am not a fan of Carmelo Anthony, so I don't see him being a difference maker on that team. I just don't see it at all. He doesn't provide what modern nba teams need he's just a little too old and too slow and his shot right. his you know shot making or 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 his shot selection more particularly is not great for modern nba teams so i can't imagine Quick. that he would turn it around nurkic coming back i don't know when he's supposed to come back that would make a big difference though i actually don't know when nurkic is coming back that would make a huge difference but the quick aside on mello is there was all that um press good press mostly that he got when he won player of the week <laughs> ridiculous uh, and, you know in Right. It was ridiculous. But in case you haven't paid attention since then, he's regressing back to the same old mellow. And I think overall, he's been a negative player for Portland, not by much. um, But he just he is the same player he's always been. He's going to take a lot of shots. He's not going to be that efficient with them. He likes the mid range and he doesn't pass. You know, this season, again, he's sharing the court with two all-star caliber players in C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, and he's still going to average something like one to two assists per game. That's always going to be a knock on Carmelo Anthony and who he is as a player. But we digress. He's T.J. Warren from two years ago, uh, basically. He he just, he can score, uh, but maybe not not exactly in the way that winning teams score in the NBA nowadays. Um, but but I will say uh, T.J. Warren can move a little faster laterally than Carmelo Anthony can at this point of his career. But beyond that, we're talking about Devin Booker, his uh, potential to be uh, an all-star starter. I, I do have a question, and there's no real way to answer this, Sam, but do you feel like that 50-40-90, that level of Devin Booker's shooting, do you think that's important to him? Because there there was one season where where Kevin Durant just decided to to be a 50 40 90 player and then he operated in a way that ensured that he would hit those 50 40 90 statistics and that included maybe not heaving it up at the end of a clock when it's a guaranteed miss um which can frustrate some people generally that doesn't bother me too too much because if you're a 50 40 90 player averaging 25 points a game 
there's no way you're a negative, basically. <laughs> that's as, as efficient as it can get. Do you think that's important to him? Yes and no. Like you said, there's no easy way to answer it. Mostly no, though. Like, if Devin Booker is going to be a system player, which comes with the potential consequences that we talked about last week of sometimes having games where he's a little more timid, that's conducive to what you're talking about. You know, so so like sometimes he may opt for smarter shots and be, uh, play a little more timid. And as a result, he wouldn't be as likely to force things and then maybe would be less likely to be a 50-40-90 player. But no, at the end of the day, if the Suns are down by three points at the end of the third quarter and Devin Booker has to heave a shot from <laughs> 60 feet away, he's going to do that. You know, he's not, he's not that worried about his percentages. He's not actually uh, obsessed with his stats, I'd be willing to bet. Yeah, I, I wonder if it matters to him, to be honest. And I think that... I mean, look, I think it's reasonable for him to think about it a little bit. He would never say it out loud to the media right. because obviously you know how well that would play. But it's a big, for whatever weird reason, a big narrative thing. You know, if Devin Booker can lead the Suns to their first playoff appearance, be an all-star for the first time, and be like the ninth player to post 50-40-90 in NBA history, which I think is what he would be, uh, if he did this over a full qualified season, that would be insane for his legacy. And this is a guy who, you know, just signing a max contract, doling out money to charities in Phoenix left and right. He's definitely already thinking, even at his young age, about his legacy. But I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, he really cares that much that, like I said, he would neglect to take a shot when he needs to. Right. I, I don't really think that's the case either. But I do think that it's a it's a weird thing where when players find reasons like this to motivate themselves, that that somehow offends people. They, they, they don't like that. I think a, a long season, anything that motivates you to be a better player, if that's sort of arbitrary statistics to other people, none of that really bothers me. Um, there were times where Russell Westbrook's uh, assist hunting bothered me, but I felt like that was affecting the game in a negative way. Uh, and I don't think that being trying to be as efficient as po- as possible and reach these metrics that wouldn't bother me if if say he was trying to do that. And, and yeah, it's kind of an arbitrary conversation. We have no idea. I do want to mention though, there was a really great article written about Devin Booker by Jonathan Abrams from Bleacher Report, and I highly, highly recommend reading it. It's a long article, over 3,000 words, uh, written about Devin Booker, and it's a really nice profile of him kind of describing where he's at at this point of his career, and I think Devin Booker, particularly for all the players that stayed on their own team. It's easy to write a story. It's easy to have a narrative about players who changed teams like Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or Anthony Davis. But for all the players that stayed on their own team, I think Devin Booker had one of the most interesting off-seasons with his basically being criticized for not playing with Team USA, the workout video of him being double-teamed going viral. So... Jonathan Abrams wrote this really interesting article that covered Devin Booker. And I do want to point out a couple things that I found out. I found really interesting from this article. Please go find it. It's on Bleacher Report. Um, One thing that I thought was really interesting was Tom Chambers, after the summer that Devin Booker had with people going at him without any basketball being played, he put a plaque in Devin Booker's locker. Uh, without telling him that said it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to a man who is actually in the arena and that's a uh, theodore roosevelt 
So I have to ask you, Sam, was that a shot at us? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it is sort of in the sense that former players will often have this attitude. Like if Eddie Johnson ever appears on our podcast, Eddie Johnson has gone after other Suns podcasters on Twitter before. You know, like, have you noticed that? Like, yeah. No matter there's there's this perspective which is correct of no matter how much we study the game and talk about the game we'll never have that perspective of having been out there and experiencing it firsthand and because of that there are some things that we have to keep our mouths shut about because we just don't know which is a reasonable perspective for for a player to take and a former player as well if they've spent you know literally twenty or thirty or however many years uh, constantly facing criticism. Um, as part of such a small subset of people. So I think it's reasonable. I think that's just Tom Chambers kind of having that same attitude as Eddie. Yeah, and apparently it's a, it's a quote that LeBron also is a big fan of. And I think any uh, NBA player can find a way to relate to that. For one, um, it's about being criticized fairly or unfairly. But the fact that it actually ends with the man who is in the arena, that's like directly about NBA players. Uh, but <laughs> I did find myself reading that going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then realizing, oh, wait, I'm, I'm the critic. This, is, this yep. is about me, not listening to me. And guess what? He shouldn't at all. He shouldn't listen to me. The one other thing I wanted to point out, just because Devin Booker, I just think it's fascinating that Devin Booker has been on this franchise. This is his fifth year. Not once has he complained. Uh, not once has he made any of the story about himself. He's taken the criticism for the Suns being a losing franchise as the best player on the team for basically two years in a row. I would say and since his 70-point game. I think that's when the criticism really uh, hit a fever pitch, and it's basically been there until this season. Throughout all that time, he's never really made a big deal. There's never been secret locker room, uh, you know, trying to overthrow the coaches like there's there's none of those weird stories like recently there was a story about trey young calling out his entire team in some sort of emotional uh locker room uh disastrous meeting it's like i I mean trey young i get it you want to win but look at your roster Your, your team's trying to lose but the point i wanted to make is just i find it interesting that devin booker is able to be this mature and and one of the quotes that i read in this was exactly the type of thing that you want somebody in his position saying and he said, it, I've gotten to the point where it's like, I know I'm not the best at everything. Us as athletes, I think once you can get to that point where you're comfortable with saying what you're not good at, or you're not good at something, that I need to work on it, that's when you can get the most out of it. Personally, you just know what you're not good at and actually try and embrace that and go to work on what it, and what it is. And that's what he did this summer. I just find it fascinating, and and we're very lucky as Suns fans, I think, to have somebody like Devin Booker, who not only uh, acts like a leader at a very young age, but is able to say something as uh, concise and and profound for an athlete at his age to say, I'm not the best at everything, I'm not trying to be cocky, I'm recognizing what I'm not good at, and I'm trying to work on those things. And it doesn't come off empty the way it sometimes does with, say, DeAndre Ayton, it really feels like it's something <laughs> true to who he is and what he's trying to work on. It. I just I found that article very good. I, I highly recommend everyone read it. I don't know if you have any I, thoughts on that quote. I do, and I'll get to them in a second. I have to quickly say, we can't not mention this. Did you see that post at the top of our sons? Oh yeah, uh, a few days ago about how someone was in the arena and DeAndre Aiden walked by them in the tunnel. And he said something like, only four or five more games till I come back and dominate. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. So that's like that's always going to be the thing with DeAndre Ayton. And then we'll see if that's actually true in it, a couple weeks. It felt like when, it was like a bot created to simulate yes, something DeAndre yes. Ayton would say. <laughs> yes. 
And I hope he's telling you know, it's possible yeah, he will I, dominate. You know, who knows? We'll see. Uh, I had this bot watch 10,000 hours of DeAndre Ayton <laughs> footage, and here's what it came up with, like one of those memes. Um, but with Booker, I think what, what impressed me so much in the rest of his quotes in this article, too, not just the one you were referring to, but how consistently he's taking a measured approach um, in everything, in how he evaluates himself, but in, also in part of leadership is how you evaluate your teammates. <laughs> and he had this half funny but also half kind of insightful quote about Ricky Rubio where he says, quote, he's not the most athletic. Mm-hmm. He doesn't shoot the ball the best. He's not going in there dunking on anybody or using lightning speed to get by anybody. And at this point, like I, the reader, am saying, well, shit, Devin, like I hope you're about to say something good about Ricky because <laughs> it's a, a, a long time you're going shitting on him here. But then he continues. He says everything with him is up here in his mind. He won't say it, but you can tell when he's playing. He's thinking the whole time and he's putting people in the right position. And Booker, I think has a way of empowering his teammates and instilling confidence in them without being unreasonable. Almost, you know, like without being like us as fans, without being homers. He has a real sense of what everyone's role on this team is and should be. Um, and that's how you can actually maximize players' strengths. And and on the flip side, that's how you can also sometimes tell players uh, like Kelly Oubre if he's forcing a few too many shots or uh, Dario Saric, if he's being a little bit too timid, how you can like give them some advice and, and actually get them to play to their strengths and make the entire unit stronger as a whole. So I, I don't know. I just think Booker has done uh, just an exceptional job uh, in the leadership role for someone who's only 23 years old. Yep, absolutely. And and as an example of that, uh, I uh, the Suns actually posted a video of Devin Booker talking after the Houston game and uh, he took the he took the blame for for the loss. He basically said, "I missed a lot of free throws, and missing free throws is contagious." And then my teammates missed free throws, right. and that kind of uh, subtle uh, leadership I I find really uh, fascinating because superstars are important on the court, but their ability to shield their teammates from criticism. It, it's it's something that's really important off the court as well. And I think Devin Booker not only being willing to be that shield, but inviting it on himself is that's really great leadership. It's just not something that you see often in somebody as young as him. That's something that LeBron has always done, for example. That you know, it's like the best leaders that you can think of in the NBA are guys that uh consistently said things like that. And um, you know, and he seems to be a guy who takes it to heart and actually does things uh, based right. on those I, words. I just want to stress how important that is that you were talking about. Like, you have to do that if you want to be a good leader. Because, you know, if Booker says about Rubio to the media, yeah, this guy can't shoot for shit. And, uh, you know, he's not very athletic. Give me the ball. That comes off much different than actually being able to go out and admit his own mistakes and admit, you know, when a loss is on him for those missed free throws as it is and and really gets players to buy into what he's talking about. You have to admit that you're human (laughs) as well and and can't just be conceited in your leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's... uh... It's been it's been a nice it's it's been an up and down last five seasons right including this one for Suns fans but it's been nice to watch Devin Booker grow as a player uh, but I think that leadership thing is it's not it, although he has grown in that role as well 
Um, I think that he's always had something in him that made him a leader from, from what I can tell. So, uh, I guess it's just, we, we decided to spend the first 20 minutes of this podcast, just thanking God that the Suns lucked out into a guy like Devin Booker because he was picked at 13th by Ryan McDonough, who has some of the worst draft mistakes, uh, of the last 10 years. So we're very lucky to get a guy like him, but uh, let's take a quick break. We have to talk. We have to talk about Kevin Love. I'm. I'm not saying that I want okay. to talk about Kevin Love, but we have to talk about Kevin Love. I get it. We'll get into our we player of the it. week, and we'll preview some of next week's episodes. We'll be right, right back. Talking about ED isn't easy. Usually, you brush it off, blame yourself, or say things like "I lost my mojo," or you avoid it altogether with excuses like "I had a long day at work," or "Sorry, I'm not feeling it." But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get free online evaluations and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. ED used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a doctor to get it taken care of. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. All right, trade season is about to begin. So some people might be wondering... It's December. Why is everyone talking about trades right now? As of December 15th, contracts that were signed in this previous offseason are now eligible to be traded, certain kinds of contracts at least. Uh, That's why a lot of players are now available because in the next five days, there could be some trades that are made or at least five days from now when we're recording this. Some players are very publicly available now. And I think the most common one that seems to be coming up online as connected to the Phoenix Suns, thanks to Suns fans, but now, as of this morning, also thanks to the ringers, Kevin O'Connor, the homie, he said that the Suns could be potentially in competition to trade for Kevin Love, a guy who I wanted on the Suns 10 years ago, (laughs) but I am a little unsure of how I feel about it now. Well, unsure maybe is a little generous but sam what do you think about kevin love and the idea of trading for kevin love i have soured on this idea so much as i've let it sit in my brain for the past uh couple months like if you asked me a couple months ago i would have been like oh yeah you know what kevin love he's he's all right he still has a little bit left in he's the a tank. champion he's a, <laughs> I, I don't care he's yeah he's a champion but you know that probably would have factored in into my thought process there and now I think we have to start with, first of all, what did we expect out of Dario Saric at the beginning of the season, Mm -hmm. and what are we getting out of him right now? Mm -hmm. Because what's interesting about Dario Saric right now, if you're going to trade for Kevin Love, first you have to convince me that Kevin Love is an upgrade over Dario Saric. And right now, I'm not sure we can do it. Uh, Dario, in his last eight games, what's so interesting is that he shot 32% from three. The guy who came in to be a floor-spacing big is shooting... Over the past eight games, like Ryan Anderson, and yet this has been the best stretch of the season for Dario Saric because he has done absolutely everything else. He's um, averaged 14 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, and even a block 
per game on 62% true shooting. That's without the three-pointer falling because he's hitting all of his free throws and because his finishing ability has come back to him. And, you know, I know he doesn't have a great post game, um, but he's got his touch is starting to return to him. And you can see it. Uh, he had a nice drive, I think, on Carl Anthony Towns. It was yesterday against Minnesota. He had a nice drive on another Timberwolves forward. I don't remember who it was. Um, he'll go in there. He'll scrap for offensive boards, which is way more than I was expecting him to do. Um, and get some putbacks as a result. Sometimes he gets the offensive rebound and he kicks it back out to a shooter. But the point is, Dario Sarge looks like a much more complete player than we uh, anticipated. And because of that, it affects really how much of an upgrade you're getting in terms of Kevin Love. Kevin Love, consequent, um, on the flip side, is having his worst stretch of the season right now. Over his last 10 games, he's averaging 13 points and 8 rebounds on 38% shooting. So, small sample size theater here, but just the most recent stretch for each of these two guys. Kevin Love and Dario Saric are on about equal footing just in their most recent games. If you scale it back a little bit and look at it from further away and look at the entire season, Saric has the better advanced stats defensively, overall, you name it. Um, Love is still the better high volume guy you know he's he's the one who's averaging like 20 points and 12 rebounds per 36 but I just don't think that makes as much of a difference when you look at what Kevin Love's role would be on the Suns where he would be very much I think like a third option behind Devin Booker and a healthy DeAndre Ayton and like maybe even like tied to be a fourth option alongside Kelly Oubre Jr. I think Dario providing not only the spacing he does, but also the rebounding he's giving us right now. He's has a higher offensive rebounding rate this season than Kevin Love, which is insanely important. And most importantly, the defense that he provides. Um, yeah, just to sum this all up, I don't think you can convince me that Love is a better player than Sarge. And not only, even if you could, you would have to do that, but then you would also have to convince me that it would be worth it to take on this 31-year-old player who has missed an average of close to 50 games per season over the past three years, who is making $30 million per season for the next three years. You would have to convince me of all of that, and I'm, I'm really sure that you're not going to be able to do that. So, bottom line, Kevin Love doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I agree to a point. Now, I, I agree with you in that Especially when you said like a few months ago, maybe a Kevin Love trade, maybe you could sell me on it. Even at that time, I was a little suspicious because I like the idea. One of the things I like that James Jones did, and I've said it 10 times on this podcast probably, is that the books are clean going forward. The only players that are signed to contracts beyond the next few years are the players that you want signed on contracts beyond the next few years. They have a lot of flexibility free agent wise. They have a lot of flexibility to re-sign guys if they show that they can be uh, successful in the system that they are creating. And the idea of filling up that cap space with an aging star who, yes, is a champion. I know I made fun of that earlier, but that matters. Um, it does matter. It shows that he has experience in the playoffs, and it shows that he can come through when it counts. But I mean, he was carried. He was carried by LeBron. I mean, that's just the truest fact of it. Uh, the idea of tying up that cap space with somebody like Kevin Love, when this team we haven't really seen it firing on all cylinders, and I think that's a big thing. And to that point. James Jones went on the radio today and said that they, they don't, they're not really even looking at these possibilities until they've seen this team play together. Uh, and I think that's the right approach to take because it just doesn't really make sense to put Kevin Love on this team anymore. The one thing I want to say in defense of Kevin Love, though, is he is having a down year statistically 
some of his worst uh, shooting splits in a long time, uh, lower in scoring, lower in rebounds than he, than he has been in the past. But the same way that I talked about Laurie Markkinen being in a disastrous situation, that's actually currently happening in Cleveland as well. Uh, for those who don't know or aren't following the NBA the way that Sam and I do, the Cavaliers hired a college coach, John Beeline. John Beeline is a famous uh, coach for being kind of a hard-nosed college guy that that really likes to run things the way he runs things. Um, an older coach, longtime basketball coach. And recently, in the last week or so, the there were some Cavaliers players who went on the record anonymously, which is a funny phrase in, in itself, but they went on the record anonymously just trashing their coach, basically, saying that they don't like the way he runs it. They don't like this idea of treating this like a college team and, you know, just kind of silently asking to be traded, basically. And I think that there's a good chance that one of those guys was Kevin Love. And I think it's hard to judge players in a disastrous situation. Do I think that Kevin Love could be a better player than Dario Saric on the Suns this season for the rest of this year? I do, actually. I think he could be better than Dario Saric. And that's as good as Dario's playing. Kevin Love still has all-star talent within him. And I think that he might be held back by kind of a hard situation with a lot of young guys trying to be successful there. Uh, so that that's one thing I will say. It's just when you look at what could be out there for him and what we'd have to give up, particularly in the future flexibility for this team and for this franchise, there's just no way to sell it in a way that makes it feel worth it. And I find it I find it hard to believe when I see some trades out there, like sacrificing any first round pick for Kevin Love right now is completely insane for me. That would be a complete deal breaker. But even just Agreed. losing the cap space, I think that's almost enough for me. And just to your point about Dario, he's actually now leading the Suns in rebounding. For a while, it was Ricky Rubio. It still hasn't been. Uh, it, uh, it, well, obviously, Aiton, if you if you factor in his 111 rebound game. But uh, he's got 7.3 rebounds he's now averaging on the season, including two offensive rebounds a game, which you, you, you guys all recognize. I think Dario is now getting those offensive rebounds uh, in interesting ways uh, for a guy that's not like uber, uber athletic. He's not jumping over anybody for those. And his defense has improved. I, 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 I'd venture to guess he's a better defender than uh, Kevin Love so far this season. It, I think it will be interesting to see Kevin Love on a new team. Can he be a lot better than he's been so far this year? Uh, I think that's a possibility. So I, I guess we're going to find I, out soon. I, I think even if you built a time machine, you, coaching in Cleveland notwithstanding, if you built a time machine and reverted love back to what he was one or two years ago and got that sort of production from him on the Suns, you're still getting a marginal improvement. Right. Um, I, th- I think that's the reality of the situation. And the biggest thing is, like, let's say, even if you take at face value that love is a better player than Saric, but if you know that for the next four years you're going to get 55 to 60 games out of love per season and you're going to get closer to 80 games out of Saric, then that becomes a much easier call to me as well. Because depth is important, especially when you get into the playoffs. And like I said, Kevin Love, these past few seasons, 22 games played last year, 59 the year before, 60 the year before that. Uh, And and it's only going to get worse potentially as it gets older. So um, I'm out on Kevin Love for a number of reasons. I like the guy. Five years ago, I would have been stoked for this, but I think it's just too late for the Suns to cash in. Yep, I'm out as well. At some point, you know, these guys start sucking. <laughs> they just do. You know, like we saw it happen with Tyson Chandler. He he came on to the Suns. He was okay. And then he started sucking at some point. And that's going to happen to Kevin Love. 
it's possible that it's happening right now this season and some team's going to trade for him and that could be a disaster. We're talking about Portland in the playoff race. Portland is potentially one of those teams. It's supposedly the team Kevin Love wants to play for, so we'll see if he can make an improvement there. I think that could be an interesting team if they can get like 80% of what Kevin Love used to be. Uh, That would be a nice thing. Talk about a disaster defensively, though, (laughs) that team. But uh, we'll see what happens there. We'll follow that. There are some other potential players available. I do just, before we, maybe we won't even get into the specific guys that are available yet. We're going to have time (laughs) to talk about this. Just in a general sense, Sam, I want to ask you, what, what do you think the Suns need to just sort of marginally improve their chances? Ah, shit. It's funny because I haven't even thought about it because I wasn't prepared to talk about it. I guess putting me on the spot, I guess it's like a Kaminsky upgrade. So a, a stretch big that can actually stretch. I, and I want to give Frank Kaminsky actually some credit in case we don't get the chance to talk about him anymore on this episode. He's been hitting his threes this week. Um, he hasn't been a disaster. He's still playing out of position for most of the games this week. Or mm-hmm. or he's playing at his natural position at the five. But I really have a suspicion that he's better at the four. Yeah, me too. Um, I guess w- we'll see that tested more when DeAndre Ayton finally returns. Uh, I'm, um, I'm a little past the idea that he's better at a five for the record. He's going to suck at defense on both positions. And I think yeah. that his little awkward rumbling to the rim thing is a lot better when he has a four guarding him than a five. Because he is a yeah. real barefoot seven-footer. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. I just want to see it in action. But I guess, theoretically, you could definitely talk me into an upgrade there. There's some appealing names on the market that I think we can talk about. Uh, but another thing is, you know, Ty Jerome, as much as we liked him uh, at point guard. Well, okay, if you look at the bench in general, there are guys who are doing great things on the bench right now. Mikhail Bridges is kind of coming back to life a little bit. Cam Johnson has been really consistent. But Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges, they're not creators. And Tyler Johnson, I think, was kind of supposed there to fill is. that void, but then he he wasn't what we expected. So I think this you is go exactly out, where I was going with this. Yes, right. You need you. Need, it's sort of how like if you okay if you go way back. I have no regrets about what the Suns did this summer. I think they had a great off season. But if you go back to our free agent targets episode, um, what when uh, both Mike and I laid out our five favorite free agent targets for the Suns before July 1st. One of the guys on my list was Jeremy Lamb. And the idea there was to bring in basically just a guy who could be kind of your sixth man, self-creator off the bench, ideally a good playmaker, but also a guy who can give you some penetration in lineups where uh, either you don't have either Devin Booker or Ricky Rubio on the floor and you just really need a, a pure bench lineup, or maybe it's a night where Ricky Rubio has back spasms and Devin Booker's going to be off the floor for a certain amount of time and you need another guy who can penetrate because as great a shooter as Cam Johnson is, he's not going to do it. As great a cutter as Mikhail Bridges is becoming, he's not going to do it either. That sort of thing. So I think the Suns could really go out and look for an upgrade there. A guy who's basically a combo guard, um, maybe can take some of Ty Jerome's minutes in yeah. games where Ty doesn't look ready for the big time, maybe take some of uh, other players' minutes, depending on who's has the hot hand. I have two guys uh, that I wrote down uh, for that potential. And my my biggest thing that I think the Suns need to improve, to, to marginally improve their playoff odds, are some sort of guard offense off the bench. Now, I do think that uh, ideally it is a playmaker, penetrator, someone who can dribble with the ball and, and actually make plays. But I wrote down two players for two different reasons. The first one was T- Thomas or Tomas, I guess, Sadoransky, Sado, um, from the Chicago Bulls. Now, he's currently on the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are one of those teams that is a disaster right now and might start selling off uh, their 
older players. He's technically one of the older players on that team. If he becomes available in any way, I think the Suns have to look at Sadoransky because I think he could be a perfect backup guard. Uh, for one, he's a point guard. He's an actual point guard, and he's six foot seven, which is just a nice thing to have coming off the bench if you can do that. Uh, so if he becomes available in any way, I think that's a player that the Suns need to look at. The other player that I wrote down is J.J. Redick, and that's for a different reason. J.J. Redick does not create offense by dribbling. J.J. Redick creates offense by being sort of a guy that runs all over the court and spaces the floor for everyone else in ways that very, very few players can. The Pelicans are having a rough season. J.J. Redick, for those who don't know, has never missed the playoffs in his entire career. And the Pelicans are just about guaranteed to miss the playoffs this season. If they continue trending the way that they're trending... There is a chance that the uh, the Pelicans do one of those good guy trades where they trade one of their veteran players to a more competitive team to give them a chance to make the playoffs. If that were to happen, there's going to be a lot of people in competition for J.J. Redick, so I'm not saying that the Suns are like a guarantee here, but you got you to wonder if they can get in the mix there a little bit. And uh, for sure. there's really no, we talked about it before, there's really no backup shooting guard on this team right now. Um, yeah. There just isn't. And if you can get J.J. Redick, basically a guy who would likely be the best backup shooting guard uh, in the league, he would spark a lot of offense. And I think that gives you some freedom to run some point book lineups if that ever happens uh, with this team. So those are just two examples, two guys that may or may not be available, two guys that I looked at for specific <laughs> reasons that their team's underperforming and uh, they're a little bit older. Uh, yeah, I don't, to the I don't think it's a stretch to say that J.J. Redick is like still the best off-ball mover in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think Just the, the, way, the way that he moves, I think you can make a very good case that he's just been like the best at that for a decade <laughs> straight, which is a, a crazy achievement for him to have. One other guy, as long as we're on this topic, and we'll have a real trade episode soon, I guess, guys, to, yeah. to talk about this and toss around ideas, but I have to bring up this guy's name now because he's really hot. Um, have you been seeing how Davis Bertans is playing? Oh my right God, now? yeah. Yeah, for the Wizards. When I talk about a Frank Kaminsky upgrade, like, wow. that w- He's on an expiring deal for what's likely to be a non-playoff team. Uh, so I think that's that's really a guy you have to look at. He's averaging like 14, 15 points per game, shooting the lights out consistently every night. It would be like having him and Baines together in a lineup would be so absurd uh, that it's just... It, <laughs> just thinking about that. yeah absolutely i think that's the type of player that james jones loves too um you know he, he would fit right in the the wizards had the number one i'm not sure if they're still there but they had the number one offense for the majority of the season so far and uh you know obviously they have excellent players like bradley beal is has been excellent this season they also have isaiah thomas who's been playing relatively well but i think a lot of that credit can go to a guy like davis who is like jj reddick it's a similar thing where he can shoot the three in so many different ways, uh, and he's so quick with that release. Those guys make a massive, massive difference to teams that move the ball well. Um, so, yeah, that would be a great one. That's a, that's an excellent one to bring up and, and, and definitely keep an eye on it. Mind you, any of these guys that shoot the three the way that the guys that we mentioned do are going to be uh, sought by every team. But the Suns, yeah. the Suns, out of playoff teams, the Suns have... Uh, not They have pretty good roster flexibility as far as the ability to make trades. The problem is not a lot of guys in those like middle contract areas beyond Frank Kaminsky, and uh, nobody nobody's going to want him. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, it's you know he's not going. You can't trade Frank for Dar- or for uh, Davis. I don't think. But um, well, yeah, you trade you trade Frank and 
something else right. that actually interests the wizards long term and that's where it becomes a, a hard conversation because you know like coming up in the next few weeks suns fans are going to throw out elia kobo like a million times in trade proposals i think i don't i don't think yeah uh, sorry guys and think elia kobo has and frank okay but frank is like I understand if you're throwing in Frank just for salary matching purposes, but people are going to be like, no, I don't want to give up Cam Johnson or Mikhail Bridges. Here, take Elliot Kobo. <laughs> I, I just don't think Elliot Kobo has the value that you guys are really assigning to him, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and we'll see if anything happens at all. It sounds, and I think the approach for the record, the approach of let's see how this team looks when everyone's actually playing is the right approach. We have time. Uh, DeAndre Ayton's back. Uh, next week or, or the week after next I should say no next week I think it's it's four games from now whatever that is and uh, and then they're gonna have a lot of time before the trade deadline which is in February so there's gonna be time to see this team and I think that's the right approach let's watch this team see how they do and see well where there's actual need and I think the most likely spot is a backup guard uh, that can spur offense in in more than one way I like I said there's the Sato and then there's JJ Redick those guys create offense in completely different ways but White both guys. of them, <laughs> they can shoot. White yeah. guy only trade deadline. Yeah, yeah possibly uh, if Davis is available as well. Uh, let's get into player of the week. Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? It's time to announce our number one superstar. You shine so bright, you'll go far. Cross your fingers, hold your breath. It might be you who could know. You'll find out on the show. Who's it gonna be? Player of the week for the third week in a row. This time, Sam, I'll go first because I finally picked a Phoenix Suns player for (laughs) the player of the week. And this one is well-deserved. His name is Ricky Rubio, and he's playing in a Los Suns jersey now, which I love very, very much. Uh, And he had an excellent game, particularly against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But just for the record... This is an amazing stat line here. In the last five games, he's averaging 10 points, 12.8 assists, and 1.6 turnovers. Jesus. In that time, because he's Ricky Rubio, uh, only 15% from three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so <laughs> there's, always a, there's always a give and a take. Uh, but he has affected the game in so many ways, particularly offensively, but as well as the defensive side of the ball, he's done a really good job just blowing up plays because he's so smart. You read the quote from Devin Booker earlier uh, describing how he's a few plays ahead of everyone else. That's that's what he's been known for for such a long time, but he's also been playing professional basketball for, I don't know, 20 years basically. And not only is he playing well right now, there's this narrative that's boiling, this narrative that's bubbling up about the Jazz falling apart and how nobody understands why the Jazz are not better uh, than they expected them to be. And I feel like there is a bit of a Ricky Rubio redemption narrative line that's coming up here that the Suns fans are going to be pushing all year. But I think if the Jazz continue to struggle and the Suns continue to excel, especially with the type of assist-to-turnover ratios that Ricky Rubio is now putting out, uh, I think there's a good chance that uh, that narrative will catch on 
outside of just the Suns fans. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Sam's been keeping great track of it online. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, I believe it's 77 assists and 11 turnovers since uh, he came back from back spasms, which is insane. Yeah, it was. All right. And it is. What do you think? Any thoughts on Ricky Rubio? And then we can get to yours. Well, yeah, I mean, they're just cartoonish numbers. It is funny. Yeah, it's like playing 2K on, on rookie difficulties at this point with the amount of assists that he's able to dish out without turning it over at all. With the Jazz, I just, I feel kind of stupid about this because like I actually was one of the people who predicted, it's so easy to hate the Jazz as a Suns fan, and yet I thought they were actually going to be pretty good this year. Like I think I went yeah. on record on a podcast in the preseason saying they were going to be better than last well, year. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's, I don't think that's crazy. No, I, And I might have even been like smarmy about it too. You know, I would have been like, <laughs> I'm sorry guys, but like, don't be stupid. Mike Conley is better than Ricky Rubio. He was. But you know, he was. No, no, yeah. one, no one could see that Mike Conley would suddenly drop. And this kind of brings us in a roundabout way quickly back to Kevin Love. When it happens, when they get bad, it's fast. Yeah. And it's frightening yeah. because it's so fast. Especially and for those like borderline like, stars. Like those guys who are stars Conley, but not superstars. Right. Mike Conley is now 32 years old. And last year, you could have convinced me that he has a few years left in the tank. He's not a guy who relies on athleticism necessarily, although at the point guard level, that's always important, especially to impact the game from the defensive side. Um, but he's got a lot of mileage on him throughout his career. And this year, his finishing numbers have plummeted, and he can't finish at the rim anymore. And with point guards, you know, if you look at their stats, if a point guard's stats, if they hit that age 30, age 31 threshold, and for the most part, year to year, their stats look the same, but you take a deeper dive and you see two things. You see that their numbers at the rim plummet, and you see that the defensive stats start to plummet. They're not playing the passing lanes, getting deflections, getting those steals because they don't have the quickness to do it anymore you know that they're in for a rough time. The decline has started. It's going to be steep and it's going to be fast. That's why, honestly, I was a little worried about Ricky Rubio in the um, uh, offseason when the Suns got him. As happy as I was to have a great playmaker, it's because those numbers for him, his finishing ability has kind of gone up and down over the past few years. But he seems to have bounced back from that with a with a tremendous season for the Suns so far. So obviously you can't always tell. Um, but yeah, no one no one saw this jazz collapse coming. No, but no one's going to enjoy it more than me as well. So <laughs> that's why one of the main reasons why Ricky Rubio is my player of the week. Sam, who do you got? I've got, well, I can't say, I don't know what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say about this guy. Huh. Who could I be talking about? <laughs> um, it's my player of the week is Mikhail Bridges. You can say his name. And I'm allowed to say you his name. You can talk about his I defense. Okay, his defense is really good. Yeah. He was everywhere in uh, last night's game, or or two nights ago, by the time you hear this. He was everywhere. Off ball, he is so smart at blowing up pick-and-roll possessions um, and, and just being able to kind of hang in the paint and somehow cover two assignments at once. Uh, obviously, he's got the long arms that helps him with the deflections, uh, but I just continue to be astounded by how smart a defender he is. Yeah. And on offense, too, I pointed out on Twitter the other day, mm. he's cutting a lot more often this Careful. season. And I'm sure... What? Kid. Am I not allowed to talk about his offense at you all? You can. Just be careful. <laughs> okay. okay. He's cutting. <laughs> he's he's cutting. He's cutting. And what does he do when he cuts? He shoots, but he shoots from three feet. So I think I'm allowed to talk about it. <laughs> he, he cuts... <laughs> <laughs> he's um 
Cunning made up like 7% of his possessions on offense last season. This year, it's up to 20%. And he is ranking in the 70th percentile league-wide in efficiency. So this is a thing that he is good at and that the coaching staff has clearly emphasized to him that he should do more often, which I think has just been a really smart move for McHale um, and a way for him to make an impact offensively even when uh, uh, other Mm -hmm. things are... (laughs) I'm going to stop talking. My point is... (laughs) Mikael Bridges is my player of the week. I didn't want to wait. So, and in in case you don't know what we're talking about right now, Mike and I agreed a few episodes ago to not talk about certain aspects of Mikael Bridges' play style until January 1st. But I just want to give him some credit by giving him player of the week. Recognize that he's had a good week. We're still not going to talk about that thing until January 1st Mm -hmm. because we said we weren't allowed to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Mikael Bridges has definitely been good. There you have it. Yes, he's been... Really good, I think, in a way that he's earning a lot more minutes. You know, he's he's playing uh, a lot more. I think that Monty is now trusting him in a way that he wasn't at the beginning of the season, and I don't think of that in in a negative way. I think that Monty was right at the beginning of the season. Uh, he was timid. He was tentative. He was uh, n- not quite himself on defense either. There was just something there mentally, I think, going on where he had to get... You know, I think part of it is just... When you start your second year in the league, it probably still takes a little bit of time to get used to the speed of NBA games. It's just different from college, and he's only had one season in in uh, the NBA so far. But uh, previous to these last five games, he was playing about twenty minutes a game. He's playing close to twenty six minutes a game now uh, in the last like five games or so. So he's getting those minutes. Something that I thought of in the last few games, the way that he was affecting the defense, his particularly. Uh, which I've been saying a lot in this episode. That that word is just in my mind today, I think. I say that word way too much. <laughs> it's like one of my crutches. But Mikhail Bridges, his help defense was so incredible in the last few games that he was blowing up plays all over the court, under the rim, finding guys that were dribbling, finding guys that were going up to the basket, blocks, steals, all kinds of stuff. And I found myself thinking about Tony Allen. Uh, Tony Allen Ooh. was... One of those guys that just, he was everywhere. You know, he was he affected the game in so many ways, and he was not always the best offensive player. I think Mikhail Bridges, his offensive potential is a lot higher than what Tony Allen's was, although Tony Allen was a, an effective offensive player at times in his career. I think Mikhail Bridges has other things that I'm not allowed to talk about that could uh, get a lot better uh, in, in the future. But but just the way that he was affecting the game, it just it just reminded me uh, of Tony Allen, and I think that's the that level of defense. Like Tony Allen, you know, he's famous for screaming first team all defense. That's the kind of defense he was playing in the last few games. First team all defense level uh, defense, and I wonder. It's, it sounds like Zach Lowe's going to write about him soon in his Ten Things yeah. column, so that's going to be is. fun. Yeah, so we'll we'll look forward to that. Tony Allen is a six time all defensive player. Um, that is a lot to aspire to be for Mikhail Bridges. Yeah, but it would be it would be awesome, and I I want to give credit credit uh, excuse me to Monty Williams again, just because I I also feel like there was a time maybe a month ago where I was kind of worried about what was happening um, to Mikhail Bridges in the rotation and how quickly his minutes were evaporating. Mikhail has um, sorry not Mikhail Monty has done all these M names. Monty has done a great job of balancing Mikhail's minutes with Cam's and Kelly's. Um, I think all of them are playing 
pretty equal minutes over the past couple weeks or so, and they bring such different things to the table. Uh, but like you said, Mikhail Bridges in this most recent stretch, back up to around 25, 26 minutes per game. That's basically almost starter minutes um, and really gives him a chance to impact the game in a number of ways. And that doesn't go unnoticed by Monty Williams, too, because in a game like the one against Minnesota, where Mikhail Bridges was all over the place, uh, I think he played possibly more minutes than anyone else. I would have to double check the box score, but he played a lot. Yeah, really impressive stretch, and I'm glad he's earning those minutes back because he was possibly, you know, I don't know how to quantify this, but possibly my favorite player last season to watch. Just one of those guys that just gives effort constantly and is all over the court. Very fun to watch when he's uh, really feeling himself defensively. So uh, glad he appears to be back. I'm also glad that you and I never gave up on him in any way at all because I never doubted that this would happen. Um, and I think it was a good it was a good idea for us to give up talking about uh, what we avoided talking about and good work just, not talking about it. <laughs> just to fact check myself there. So Booker played 36 minutes against the Wolves, but after that it was Rubio, Ubre, Bridges all at 33. So he was right up there with uh, being the, one of the most important members of the Suns rotation that night. You know, I, and it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy that Kelly, though, like with three guys who play the same position, and this is going to be much different when DeAndre Ayton comes back, but we had a game where Kelly Oubre played 33 minutes, uh, Mikhail Bridges played 33 minutes, and Cam Johnson played 26 minutes in that one, too. Wow. Yeah. We're you, getting some really cool lineups of those guys, uh, either all at the same time or yeah. different variations of two of them at once. Yeah. Yeah. Those will be interesting, just like you said, when uh, DeAndre Ayton is back, but as well. Uh, even just with Aaron Baines, I'd like to look up those lineup stats. I don't feel like there's enough games so far that lineup stats are particularly... Oh, there it is again. Uh, interesting. But I think halfway through the season, once we get to that halfway mark, I think those lineup stats start to become a little more interesting. It's just a shame that they're all screwed up by no DeAndre Ayton. Um, something I didn't put on the outline, and I know this is going to make this episode go extra long. So for those of you who like extra long episodes, enjoy this one. For those of you who don't, sorry. Staggering. Monty Williams has started staggering uh, Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio. Uh, Ricky Rubio playing a lot of time with bench lineups, which make a lot of sense because if you surround Ricky Rubio with shooting, he does a lot of interesting things. I think this is a big reason why Ricky Rubio's assists have shot up in the last week or so uh, because he's playing with those uh, lineups where he's clearly the ball handler. He's the guy that's going to be dribbling a lot. I loved it so far. I've loved it a lot. I think it's increased how effective our bench lineups can be. Uh, but it puts a lot of pressure on two guys. Devin Booker, of course, because playing time without Ricky Rubio puts a lot of pressure on him as a ball handler. But the other guy is Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome is, is now stepping into some crunch time minutes before Ricky Rubio comes in for the last stretch of the game, specifically in the second half of the game. This is, I think, where we run into some troubles. This is why I think we talked about potential... Uh, positions needs to fill for the Suns. That's why a guy like Sadoransky or JJ Redick would be a really nice fit here because they can slot into that role next to Devin Booker uh, before Ricky Rubio comes back to close out the game. I've really, really, really liked the staggering. I think that it's worked in a way that uh, that we wanted it to when we talked about it early in the season. I understand why it took a while to get there. I think the bench uh, units struggled a lot. I think when you have both Ty Jerome and Cameron Johnson on the floor together, those are just too, it's too many rookies. <laughs> it's too many rookies to play when you're trying to win. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you thought about the staggering? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I you haven't pulled up lineup stats on that though, have you? No. Because now I'm curious. It's I only been a few games. 
Right. I don't know if we have the sample size to really look at it, but maybe I'll, I'll look that up after we're finished recording and post something on Twitter about it tomorrow. Um, just just to see if there's any evidence. Um, just the eye test, I, I like it for the same reasons. But I think, again, this wouldn't happen with J.J. Redick. This would only happen if we did what I was talking about, which is to bring in like a secondary playmaker like a Tyler Johnson, but better than Tyler Johnson. I really like the idea of just keeping a little bit of extra punch in a lineup, even if you're going to play Ricky Rubio uh, with the rest of the bench unit, theoretically. I, I just like having that secondary option built into your offense because that's kind of what, if you're not going to play Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker together, you kind of have that still in your starting lineup through Kelly Oubre um, as this avenue of offense that you can go through a guy who can really create his own shot. Um, I think what you're saying is true. It's true that Rubio's assists could potentially skyrocket um, if his usage rate goes up when he plays with the bench players. But having that second guy to kind of rely on would be uh, just a luxury. If if James Jones could somehow get that, that would be a luxury and that would be really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And that I think is is what makes Tyler Johnson even more expendable going forward because well, I do, he should be that tough. guy he should be it's tough because he should be that guy and you know at i don't want to he's he hasn't looked good and the advanced stats don't like him the traditional stats don't like him that much this year but we haven't have we really gotten enough of a sample size of tyler johnson to give up on him i, I don't think we have this season and i think there have been points uh where he's kind of been the only one on the roster outside of Devin Booker, obviously, and maybe to an extent Kelly Oubre, who can hit that pull-up mid-range shot. And now I know it's not a very efficient shot, and I don't want him to beat Jamal Crawford, but like, there's some inherent value just in Tyler Johnson yeah. being able to do that. Yeah. That one specific thing, I think he does that a lot better than Ricky Rubio. Yeah, uh, definitely. I would say that he definitely does. I think his ability to create separation with his dribble is not as good as Ricky Rubio, so it's going to be harder for him to get that shot off. Uh, but just it, it, just from actually shooting it, he probably is better. But I think going forward, uh, credit to Monty Williams for trusting Ty Jerome and putting him in those lineups uh, to be there. Uh but I don't think he's ready yet. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Monty playing around with that a little bit and putting different guys in that role. And I just, I, personally, I said it on Twitter, I just, I would like to see some point book minutes in those lineups. If it's just going to be a few minutes while Ricky Rubio is resting after taking control uh, of the game with the bench unit, if it's just going to be like a four minute stretch of the game, three and a half minute stretch of the game. Just put some put Cameron Johnson in there at shooting guard, and uh, put put a few wings. Put Mikhail Bridges. Put Kelly Oubre in there, and Aaron Baines or whoever you can at center, and let's see what they can do. Let's see what happens if they try to trap Devin Booker when he's surrounded by guys who can cut and shoot. And uh, and I to me try to mitigate those minutes with uh, Ty Jerome in crunch time until he's ready. And 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 uh, yeah. you know that's how I look at to it. To be fair, to be fair to Ty Jerome too. He can shoot, definitely. Like, they closed out, I think I saw a lineup. I'm doing this off memory, so I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure uh, that we saw Ty Jerome paired with, like, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Devin Booker, and Aaron Baines at one point, like, something like that. Yeah, I believe that's and it. It gives you it gives you the spacing that you're talking about. Ty Jerome has had some pretty buckets in the past couple of games. He's just not... Uh, the creator that we need him to be yet and that's okay he's still figuring things out he's a rookie and who's played literally like he, he's played literally five games you're right defensively is a different story i was just talking about if you're talking about surrounding booker with the gravity and the spacing offensively of guys who can shoot and cut i do think ty jerome does 
those things. Yeah, that's true. And I think that he'll get better at it over time. But I just feel like it, there are times, and it, it'll be interesting to see what happens because we got two games coming up to switch over to that a little bit. Uh, the, the next game is Memphis. That is, for those of you who are listening to this, it's tomorrow probably for most of you who are listening to this. Um, or today, I should say. Memphis on Wednesday, that is a home game. And then San Antonio Spurs on Saturday, uh, which is a nice afternoon game, 3 p.m. on Saturday. Looking forward to that. I like the afternoon games a lot. Uh, it gives me a, a weekend night to actually do stuff. Uh, but those will be some interesting games, specifically San Antonio, I do want to say, because I think you can get away with the Ty Jerome minutes against Memphis. Memphis is one of the worst teams in the NBA so far. Uh, they got guys who can get hot. Um, they can still be competitive, but uh, you can probably get away with those Ty Jerome minutes. I'd like to see San Antonio, who hasn't been great. They're they're well out of the playoff race so far, but they've, they've had some interesting wins. You put it on our outline here, Sam. Uh, the Clippers in Houston relatively recently, they need to be taken seriously. We'll see what they do in those lineups if they start switching things up a little bit against San Antonio. What are your thoughts on those two games? I would like 2-0 this week, realistically, get back above 500 as you prepare for DeAndre Ayton to come back. Um, but yeah, like you said, obviously San Antonio's opponent you need to take seriously anytime you're facing Coach Pop. It's going to be kind of a clash of philosophy because um, no surprise here, I don't think, to anyone who's followed the Spurs the past few years, but the combination of DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, <laughs> they don't shoot that many three-pointers. And yet here's Monty Williams, who's revolutionized the Suns' offense and really modernized it to be this uh, this kind of three-point and uh, at-the-rim concept. So I think there's going to be a clash there. The Suns are also a faster team than the Spurs, but not by all too much. Um yeah, we'll see. I, I think it could come down to depth. You know, the the Spurs have some interesting depth where they've got guys who are not necessarily the most experienced players in the world, um, but but guys who could potentially rook Ty Jerome a little bit, if you know what I mean. Like Derek White coming off the bench could be dangerous. Um, Patty Mills actually is a veteran who's who's been around the league for a long time. He could be a guy who could rook Ty Jerome a little bit. Um, and, and then they've just got other guys off their bench that I could list. Marco Bellinelli, a veteran. Jakob Pertl's had a decent season. Um, so that could be an interesting matchup for the Suns. But ultimately, I do think the Suns are the better team in both games. Both games are at home. They should go 2-0. Oh, and actually, by the way, that San Antonio game, forgot to mention this, it is a home game, but it's actually in Mexico City. Uh, oh, that's so oh, that wow. That's that. Okay. It's kind of interesting too. It's it's. I didn't even notice that. Devin Booker did very well in Mexico in the in the few times he's played there. So including beating San Antonio. Um, so we'll see if that's something he can do again. It's nice when he performs well there. The Mexican crowd seems to like Devin Booker a lot. Uh, so that's that's coming up, and it's a pretty exciting time I think for Suns fans. It's it's almost like we're gonna make a midseason trade, and we're talking about all these potential trades because it is Memphis, San Antonio, and then Portland next Monday. And then the Clippers, and that Clippers game is when DeAndre Ayton is coming back. So against possibly the best or one of the best teams in the NBA at the end of the season, I have a feeling they might be the best or second best. And we get our second best player back. If he does not score 50 points <laughs> with 50 rebounds, with 50 blocks, yeah. he's a bust. He is. Um, Are you ready to call it, Suns fans? <laughs> Call DeAndre Ayton out on his shit if he doesn't post the first ever 50-50-50 game. Yeah, exactly. In his return. I'll be there. We'll be back. I'll be leading the charge. On Sunday. We'll be back. 
Sundays, hopefully. We're going to get guess. back to our normal, regularly scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not, we'll be back. See you guys in a few days. Cloaksy. Cloaksy. Not Cloaksy. He's a gamer. Not Cloaksy. 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 He's a gamer. He's a gamer. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.